Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, we want to let you all know, or remind you if you tune in often here, that we have a conference coming up in January yeah. called the Doctrine of God Conference. We are going to have James Dolezal with us. We're going to have Pastor Chad Vegas with us as well, who's mm-hmm. from California. And we're doing this January, I don't have the exact date. 21 dates. through 23, 2021. 21 through uh, 23. And uh, Florida is very nice that time of year. So come down and join us. You can register for that conference at founders.org. Yeah, there's uh, one seminary that's going to give credit to their students that come and uh, take it as a Doctrine of God course with some extra reading and writing. So uh, if you have opportunity for directed studies and you're a student, you might uh, ask a professor, see if you can do that as well. But it's going to be a great conference. There's always a lot of excitement about it. Several different uh, churches have contacted us. Their whole elder boards are coming down to participate. So we're looking forward to the time together in January. Well, we're particularly excited today to have a special guest with us. Uh, this is a, a man that I've met just a, a few weeks ago, but I feel like I've known him a while already and I feel a real kinship with him, a oneness in our devotion to Christ and in our commitment to seeing Christ honored in the world. So today we have Larry Taunton with us. He is the executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, and you can uh, discover more of his writings and his ministry at LarryAlexTaunton.com. We'll put all this in the notes with this episode so that you can easily access his material. The the mission of Fixed Point Foundation is to defend and proclaim the gospel in the secular marketplace and equip others to do the same. So one of the things, Larry, that I I was delighted to find on your website is uh, the videos of multiple debates, uh, debates uh, featuring John Lennox and uh, uh, well-known atheists and uh, people advocating for LGBTQ and speaking against that. And you've hosted these things going on uh, at least 10 years back, I think is what I saw. But how long have you been doing what you've been doing with Fixed Point Foundation? Uh, Yes, uh, great to be with you guys. Um, I founded Fixed Point in 2003. And uh, our first debate was in 2006 at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. It was on intelligent design. And uh, um, I brought a little known Oxford academic um, to Alabama. Um, In fact, I couldn't find anybody here who knew who he was. And um, there was some reluctance um, to have him. And that's Professor John Lennox, Mm -hmm. who's now very Mm -hmm. well known. And uh, that debate went very well. John and I became very close friends um, and uh, remain so. and then the next thing you know, um, Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, comes out, and uh, I pick a fight with Dawkins that uh, I leave to John Lennox to um, um, to uh, to, act- to actually uh, do the combat um, on our behalf. And, uh, I like that. That was uh, that was quite an event and uh, became a real global phenomenon, uh, actually. But then we started doing all sorts of debates all over the world. I debated Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Michael Shermer, Daniel Dennett on Al Jazeera. I debated some other Muslims on CNN International and uh, some other debates with Lennox and uh, Dinesh D'Souza and so forth. Yeah, wonderful. Interesting that uh, uh, John Lennox has actually preached in our church here in Cape Coral. Yeah, right around 2004, 2005. I didn't know who he was either, 
but he was related to one of our church members. And so through that connection, got to know him, got to find out a little bit about his ministry. So he came and actually did a, a lecture and then preached for us on the Lord's Day. So we're glad to have you here. One, the, the thing that put you on my radar a few weeks ago was your letter to uh, uh, pastors of American churches or American pastors, I think it's way, I forget the exact title. But I read that and it just resonated. We passed it around our church, our eldership, and encouraged people to, uh, uh, to read it and consider it. I sent it out to all kinds of pastor friends. And then from that, tried to hunt you down, was able to connect with you on the phone. And man, thank you. What a wonderful call. What a much needed call in the light of where we are today to uh, basically say, hey, pastors, you've been commissioned by Christ with a stewardship of the gospel, and that gospel's under attack. And if you don't take your stand, then the nation is going to suffer, churches are going to suffer, and the, the testimony that we have right now for the gospel is uh, going to be undermined as well. So thanks for writing that, first of all. Let me ask you, what, what provoked it? Why, where'd that article come from? This, it struck me as an article that was born more than written. Yes, um, uh, Tom, I, I have felt a growing conviction. Um, uh, listen, I, I have a bachelor's, a master's degree in, uh, in history, uh, particularly in European history um, and uh, Russian history and Marxism. Mm. And uh, it seems to me, as I reflect on, on history, that uh, particularly American history, that the, the great um, reform movements in this country have all, every one of them, uh, have been sparked um, from the pulpit. And uh, it seems to me that we're facing a great evil in this country. I'm not seeing much leadership um, from our, our pulpits. Um, I'm seeing many Christians who are deeply confused, uh, who want leadership, uh, who are eager to do, I'm constantly asked the question, what can I do? What can I do? And um, who are, are, are looking elsewhere, uh, that is meaning away from their churches, away from their pulpits, um, to find answers for what's taking place in the culture. Mm. And so I, I, uh, I had given a lecture um, here in Birmingham at a, a hotel a ballroom, a keynote address titled Understanding What is Happening in America. And that lecture started going all over the place. And I got a call from Eric Metaxas, who will be known to, from, uh, to many of your, your uh, viewers, saying, Larry, you have to turn this into an article. And so I turned that into an article, and that just led to more questions uh, from people and, and, uh, and, and the piece to which you're referring, uh, a letter to pastors and their churches. Mm. Larry, it's such a timely piece um, because we do see the rise of this civil unrest and we can see the influence of very bad ideas going on in our society. And uh, I, I, I guess I couldn't say I was convicted. I would have been convicted if I read this about, I don't know, three years ago. Um, but we've been on the path now for about three years of of seeing just what you've written here. And so I came under great conviction back then. And now I see it. And I'm like, exactly like, this is exactly what I as a pastor want so many um, of my pastor friends to see. And you, um, so you start with Schaefer and you talk about a call to action, a call to social action. And you do a great job of saying, some of you might think that this is uh, talking about social justice. Absolutely not. It's actually the opposite kind of thing. Um, but I'm, can you, what is your best guess as to why pastors uh, do not 
apply God's word to those social problems, those cultural realities that you're seeing? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this in, in their defense. I think that most of them have no idea what they're dealing with. Mm. Um, uh, and there's no reason that they would know in the sense that it would be a very unusual seminary that they're studying, um, you know, Hegel's dialectic and Marx and Gramsci and uh, Alinsky, uh, the works of Lenin, you know, understanding um, the Marxist takeovers of of uh, many countries around the world. Most of them just have no idea what this is. And, uh, and, and this is so pernicious because it takes on the disguise of something that is ostensibly good. I mean, when we say something like a Black Lives Matter, I mean, who could disagree with that? Right. Well, of course, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I watched churches playing into the hands of all of this when uh, it first broke, rushing, if they were a predominantly white church, rushing to find a, uh, a black Christian to speak in their pulpits on the issue of racism. I watched many other churches suddenly, um, whatever it was they were doing, they did an about face and they started preaching on racism um, as if their congregations were full of racists uh, and not really understanding that the organization Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization that cares right. nothing uh, for the black man. It cares nothing right. for authentic social justice. Um, they are uh, uh, hell-bent, and I, I mean that in a very literal sense, um, they are hell-bent on acquiring power. That's what they're about. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different thing from speaking of Black Lives Matter, which is a statement mm -hmm. of, um, of human worth and dignity. So I, I think that many pastors don't really understand what it is that they're dealing with. They're not educated. They're not schooled in this. Um, and then add to that, um, you know, we're seeing, as your film, by the way, um, demonstrates um, beautifully, um, frighteningly, uh, this is a Black Lives Matter is the is the end of the spear for something that is called cultural Marxism and cultural Marxism. The idea is to penetrate the institutions of a culture, of a society. And it has penetrated all levels of our society. It's penetrated our government. It's penetrated our seminaries, as your uh, your film um, indicates. It's penetrated our churches. Mm. And I think many pastors, and, and we're not talking about those who have long ago abandoned the gospel. I'm not referring to quote-unquote liberal right. preachers. I'm referring to those who are committed to the word, um, but... <sighs> either don't feel either a don't understand what it is they're dealing with b don't feel that they have the support of their own congregations if they do address it and uh and c um often uh, just don't have the courage um to address the real issues and in that sense i'm sensing we have a great poverty of preaching in our pulpits mm. where there might be a uh, a sermon that is given that is that is true um, but where uh, people are leaving it and saying, I'm not sure what that has to do with what's going on in the culture. Yeah. So I'm glad that you stopped with that sentence, because that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> My next question, because that line, which is in your article, which we're going to send out far and wide with this uh, episode, 
is 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 huge it's worthy of unpacking some so there i can hear many pastors are you telling me i can preach a good sermon but not a relevant sermon are you telling me i can i can kind of exegete the text but not apply the text to the the problems that are going on i see that as a huge problem i'm glad you said it could you just talk more about that what what do you see where's the problem with pulpits that are doing that kind of thing what are they failing to do and how can they do what needs to be done well, I'm, I'm building off a quotation, or at least that which is ascribed to Martin Luther, where he says this, and if you'll permit me, I'll just, uh, I'll just read it. Uh, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the Word of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ however boldly I may be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battle front besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Now, that, that is a beautiful, whether, whether it was Martin Luther who said that or someone else, the truth of that statement yeah. stands. Amen. And it is easy for me, I know this as a writer, uh, I am speaking at a number of churches this, this fall, There are all kinds of things that I can speak on, that I could preach on with passion and pound the pulpit and get no pushback whatsoever. I imagine every church that I will speak at this fall, I could speak on on social justice and uh, and racism and get no pushback because I'm not I don't think there will be anyone in the congregation who is opposed to authentic social justice or who is in favor of racism. However, If I go into a church and I decide to attack, uh, which I think is the, uh, you know, is a right thing to do. If I were attack the sacred cow of, uh, of Marxist institutions and and maybe, maybe things that people don't perceive as that, but where it has penetrated into our public schools, boy, if I speak on education, how we as, as parents, uh, or at least how many as parents have basically handed over their children, generations of children, to be educated by the Philistines, which is a which is essentially what has happened here. You, you wonder where these woke mobs come from. They're coming out of our public institutions. Uh, boy, I better I better be a, a, a expecting to have um, maybe my my car keyed or my my tire slashed because. There are certain things that we all know that if you preach on, if you speak to, you will get pushback. And I think if pastors are not addressing these things, if they're not getting pushback, it ought to be a a, a clue to them that maybe maybe you're not uh, standing in the gap. Uh, where the devil and the world are at that moment attacking. Amen. You know, that's two things you, you've highlighted. One is, is just ignorance or lack of understanding because, as you said, you know, you're not getting trained in uh, Marxist thought in your seminaries. Uh, I've got a degree in sociology. I was exposed to some of this many, many years ago, and uh, it began to reverberate in me as I started seeing it coming into churches and evangelical institutions. So there, there's a lack of understanding. But then with the understanding, I hate to say it, but it's just true. There's a lack of courage in our pulpits. Yeah. And your well, article I, you addresses know, this. If I may say something uh, uh, to that, Tom, I've been arguing for a very long time that we are lacking um, we wouldn't be in this cultural situation if more men um, were leading and were leading with courage 
from the front. And we're not seeing that. And it's interesting to me because, again, I continually hear the question, no matter where I go, uh, our website gets lots of, uh, um, you know, email um, responses to articles and whatnot. Where's the leadership? And, uh, and, and so I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the, in that courage piece, as a pastor, I, I know that I can get in the pulpit and I could say something, uh, even to the, to the categories you laid out, Larry, I could say, you know, we need to do justice. We need to care for the poor. We need yeah. to care for the oppressed. I could say we need to pursue racial reconciliation. Even on the tougher issues, say education, I could say, you know, you need to see it, it's your job to raise your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's, it's almost like I can stay at 10,000 feet. I think we have some, much of our evangelical leadership wants to be the guys kind of flying the, the airplane, dropping the bombs from 10,000 feet, but they don't want to get down and start defining those terms. What is justice? What is not justice? What's true biblical justice over against what's social justice? What's true racial reconciliation? over against what's not. And so as both of you men uh, have have stated, I, I want to make a clear call to those who were saying to have courage. You're going to have to get closer to the issues. You're going to have to say something that actually is going to offend people uh, rather than generalizing or abstracting it. Does that make sense? Oh, and absolutely. Listen, th- there's there's a progression in these articles. I mentioned the uh, the first article, um, understanding what is happening in America, a Christian response. Then came a letter to pastors and churches. I, all of these, by the way, are on my website at LarryAlexTaunton.com. But then a third piece, um, Marx versus Spurgeon, a struggle for the souls of men in uh, a 19th century London. Um, I wrote that piece because after I wrote the letter um, to pastors, I did hear from a number of pastors who were saying to me, Larry, hey, it's our job to stay above politics, mm. which, which just irritates me no end. I mean, you don't hear them say we're supposed to stay above families. Um, we're not supposed to stay, uh, stay above um, uh, numerous other cultural issues, but somehow um, there are those who, it, it seems to me, have a mental pie chart of all of God's creation, and there's a piece of the pie called politics that they say, well, I'm supposed to stay away from that. I'm not supposed to say anything to that. So I thought, how can I respond to this? And then it occurred to me, I'll use their hero. <laughs> well um, done. This is, oh, this is so good. Please go on. I just, I'm loving this. I so will much. use their hero, Charles Spurgeon, um, and demonstrate how Spurgeon did absolutely did not do that. Hmm. He he was addressing political issues constantly. Now, he wasn't saying you should vote this way or that way or uh, anything of that nature, which, by the way, would have been his right. But, uh, but he, he wasn't doing that. But he hammered away at socialism, mm-hmm. um, frequently referred to often as Fabianism um, in his time. And interestingly, uh, Marx and Spurgeon lived in the same city at the same time uh, for almost four decades um, they shared the city of London and both men were very aware of each other. And, uh, you know, we started this interview by talking about um, pastors and their role in the pulpit and what can they do? I thought it was very interesting that uh, in our, our research I'm, I'm planning to write a book on, on Spurgeon and, uh, and Marx. And uh, I thought it was very interesting that Carl, excuse me, um, Friedrich Engels, who was, 
Karl Marx's colleague. He was also co-author of the, uh, the Communist Manifesto. But Friedrich Engels, uh, who also lived in London, did an, an interview in which he was asked the man he hated most. And his response was singular. He said, Spurgeon. Wow. I had no Spurgeon. idea. Wow. And, wow. Uh, you know, I, I believe that he said that because he believed that the bloody revolution that they were preaching uh, in, through all of their writings, they wanted to see a worker, a proletarian uprising in London to overthrow the, uh, you know, the capitalists, the factory owners, the government, the ruling classes. And um, Engels and Marx felt that the, the one person who stood in their way, and we know that it was much bigger than that, but it was, it was Spurgeon. Mm. And it was because he was preaching not salvation through revolution. He was preaching salvation through Jesus Christ. He was preaching that uh, no utopian system was going to give them peace, that that peace could only come through the person of Jesus Christ, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, there could be no remission of sins um, through any human uh, uh, political system or endeavor that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So the result was that Engels said, I hate him more than any human being on the planet. Wow. I, you know, I hear you say that. And I wonder uh, who among the Marxist leaders today with all the stuff going on in our nation would name a preacher in response to that question. Yeah, well, so that's I mean, a Baptist preacher. Yeah, maybe you know. John MacArthur. I mean, you know, praise God for what John's doing. But I mean, that's it. You know, we love Spurgeon. I hear they would say Trump. So, yeah, that's right. I, I think Trump. they would say Trump. And, uh, and listen, um, he's standing in the gap, and I'm grateful for that. But, but your point is such a powerful one, Tom, because it's a, it's a condemnation Amen. of where the church is. Yeah. Larry, so you mentioned the pie chart. You know, Jesus is Lord over that big, nice chunk of the pie, but then there is that place, that area of politics, and you could probably fill in other things there, where Jesus is not king, uh, and we need to stay away from that. Seeing, I mean, as you cited Spurgeon, that's not how the church has functioned in the past, but it's so common, so pervasive, that thought today. Do you have a word on how did we get here? How how did pastors come to think that Jesus Christ is only king of, of certain things? Um, you know, you guys might have better answers than I would. I, I go to Paul in uh, saying that, that congregations will want to gather to themselves, those who tickle their ear. And I, I think this has been a temptation for those in the pulpit um, for all time. Um, you don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to say things that, uh, that upset people. You want to protect your fiefdom. Um, you want to make sure that those donors for the new Family Life Center, you know, stay on, on board with the program. Um, and so you don't say anything that makes anybody upset. I think that the, uh, the church has become, uh, the American church has become too comfortable. And uh, I thought this was very interesting. I, I Forgive me if I uh, have, have said this to you before, um, Tom, because it's been on my mind a lot lately. But recently I discovered the Billy Graham channel on Sirius Satellite yeah. Radio. Uh, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know it was there. And it's wonderful because all they do is play one Billy Graham message right after another. And I found myself quite captivated um, by it and listening to it. But I was listening to a recent sermon that he gave in Birmingham, Alabama in 1982, in which he said the church of today must repent. Now, this is 1982. 
He said, we must repent. We must repent of not calling, um, of not preaching the gospel and calling on this nation to repent. And we must repent of our misused time and money. He said, no, no nation, no church has ever been given more than we've been given. And we've wasted that opportunity. Now, here we are, you know, four decades later. And wow, um, those words resonate uh, even more powerfully now. We've wasted the opportunity. So I'm, I'm mindful of John chapter nine, verse four, which says we must work for his uh, while it is day for night is coming. Night is certainly here, I think. Yeah. You know, Larry, um, man, listening to you, there's just so much in me that is screaming out, amen, because we're in a mess. We're not getting this guy off. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. And we need this. This is the conversation. This is the message that pastors in America need today. I mean, this is something, again, we've been trying to address through founders the last several years. It it has cost us uh, in doing so. People have written us off as conspiracy theorists and, uh, you know, those that have just got some kind of political agenda. And to hear you articulate this and to know how you're doing this in a, a variety of arenas in our nation is is wonderful. One of the things that I'm grateful you've put in your articles and look forward to seeing you continue to address this is, yes, pastors must, we've got to get educated. We can't afford to not understand the times in which we live. Jesus chided the Pharisees for not recognizing the days in which they lived. The sons of Issachar were commended because they understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. We have a responsibility to wake up and see what is going on and then to be unafraid to speak boldly and plainly the word of God to this day. And I you know, I'm, I'm reminded regularly, and I try to keep it in the front of my mind and remind other pastors, our Lord was crucified. I mean, the, our master, our king, our captain was slaughtered. And for us to think we're going to have a, a, a nice, easy, peaceful life, that we need to yeah. negotiate that and, and trim what we might otherwise say because of that, it's a dereliction of duty. And, and I am, I'm so grateful for, again, I'm, I'm, I kicked myself when I read this article and I first talked to you on the phone. I said, how, how come I didn't know you 20 years ago? You know, wh- why didn't our paths cross? And I was in Birmingham a lot back then, but somehow just uh, didn't get to know you. So thank God for uh, what he's doing in and through your life and ministry. And, and we want to be open to any insights you have, any encouragements you have, any word that you want to say to the, the folks that will listen to this podcast, people that are connected with founders, man, lay it out for us. What one thing, two things would you like to just admonish us on? Uh, Tom, first of all, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very humbled by that. The Lord has been very gracious in my life and uh, uh, has, has taught me so much about his grace, his mercy, um, his, uh, his love. And um the more I learn of it, the more uh, I believe in it, the more I want other people to mm. experience that, too. And, um, and and the older I get, uh, maybe I'm, be- I'm becoming a curmudgeon. I'm, I'm seeing um, the disastrous effects of, of human philosophies uh, that lead people down a primrose path um, to their ultimate destruction. Mm. And... Um, Uh, In this case, uh, you know, I was studying Marxism as a graduate student in the mid-90s. Now, 
bear in mind, the Berlin Wall had come down in 89 um, and uh, the Soviet Union, you know, collapsed in 91. And, uh, you know, guys with degrees in this uh, who had thrived um, after World War Two, suddenly they're a dime a dozen. And people are saying to me, Larry, it's like you're getting a degree in, you know, Betamax systems. I mean, no one's using this anymore. And I kept saying, well, you know, there are a billion Chinese on the other side of the planet who uh, are still clinging doggedly um, to this system. Now here we are and we, we, we find it here. And uh, Tom, I'm so appreciative of people like you. I'm appreciative of, of the pastors I know who are passionately addressing this, um, who are, um, are doing so in grace and mercy and in a, in a winsome way. Uh, and I see myself that my own calling is to stand with my back to the church. Um, looking out at, at what the next threat is. Then, in some sense, that's what apologetics is. But my skill set is, is is both apologetics and polemics. Meaning, I don't just simply defend the gospel. I go after um, the the other side and seek to demolish, as the Apostle Paul says, um, those things that are set up against the the, the knowledge of God. Um, and as a result, I don't engage too much in the internal politics of the church. And yet, you know, as your film, um, so enlightened me, uh, the two have come together, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing how this, this worldview has penetrated the church in a very big way. So to answer your question, I would say this. I would, I would really want to encourage pastors to, um, to bear in mind what their ultimate calling is. It's not about your building programs. It's not about the size of your congregation. It's not about um, your likes on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, it's, it's about um, remaining rooted in the word and proclaiming it passionately, not because you're better than other people, uh, but because you recognize God's grace in your life and, and you recognize that it's our only hope. Secondly, um, I really want to drive home the point that you have to learn what this is that we're dealing with. Mm. Uh, and it may mean bringing in outside experts um, to help you d disseminate this. I, you know, this morning I was reading Matthew 24 and there um, the Lord says that even, even the elect uh, might be led astray uh, by some who might rise up. And I'm seeing that this is what's happening. I'm seeing that there are those who are very good um, Christians, often wise, who are buying into this nonsense. It's a great evil. I don't use the word flippantly. You need to understand what it is that you're dealing with. And then um, I think you got to mobilize your congregations. Um, that's why I wrote that article in the, uh, in the first place uh, to, to pastors. We're seeing a cultural situation where the tail is wagging the dog. Mm. And um, Black Lives Matter, they, they, they depend on two things. They depend on, first, that they're dealing with a moral opponent um, who's, who they can, can burden with guilt. And secondly, they depend on you being afraid. They, they operate on intimidation tactics. You see this all over social media where they're shouting at police or throwing bricks through windows and things of this nature. We must stand up. And we must be prepared to put feet and hands to our Christian faith. And if you think that this country isn't worth defending, 
you, you, you need to get out more. <laughs> you got out recently, right? Uh, you, you took a trip around the world in more than 80 days and got a book coming out about that, don't you? I do. And uh, interestingly enough, Tom, um, that book I wrote in anticipation of this cultural moment. Um, the book is called Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. And um, my intention with that book, uh, my, my two previous books are, are, are books that are written both for believers and unbelievers. They're, they're written with the hope that I could persuade some who are on the other side to see the importance of the Christian faith in our society and in our lives as individuals. This book has the intent of simply arming um, our side, equipping them. Um, to engage their neighbors over the backyard fence, at the water cooler, at the lunch table. And, uh, and what I did was I uh, basically took the left's argument um, that America is a t- terrible place, that it's a terrible country, that it's uh, full of, quote unquote, systemic racism and um, oppression and so on. And I said, well, let's take this argument very seriously and let's go around the world. And of course, I, I, I've been abroad many times. I'd already been to, I think, maybe 40 countries before I, I launched this particular trip. But I went around the world um, visiting those countries that the left would hold up as models um, for America and also visiting many others. And uh, I, I was invited by the, uh, the Bishop of Nigeria um, to come and speak in one of their cathedrals there. And uh, and to see what was going on in that country at the hands of um, the Fulani herdsmen militia, the Boko Haram, um, the slaughter that's taking place there. I was denied entrance into China. I'd been there before, but this time they said, we're not letting you in because the previous time I was there, I was engaging with Christian congregations. Um, I went to Russia. I went, I went to the Scandinavian countries, Western Europe everywhere that the left would say, these are the models for us. And then I compare them, compare it to the United States. And I'm making the point that America is, as Lincoln says, the last best hope on earth. Hmm. Wonderful. And that you. book's due out in October. Is that right? Correct. It comes out October 20th. You can pre-order it now. Um, so far, Amazon has not bumped me off of their website. Let's hope they don't. <laughs> Audible, which owns 90%, this gives you a clue of what's happening in the market. Audible owns 90% of the audiobook market, has refused on ideological grounds to carry the book. Wow. 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 Yikes. Well, Larry, did you say your studies were in Marxism? Uh, yes. Um, I, uh, I, my, my, uh, master's degree was in uh, European history and Russian history, which, of course, involves uh, a lot of engagement with Marxist, Marxist ideas, uh, Marxist overthrows of, uh, of government. And um, so, yes, Russian literature. Well, good. So we have this uh, we have this um, content platform called the Armory, where people that are part of our Founders Alliance membership can uh, jump on there. And if you would, we'd love for you to stick around uh, and maybe do like 10 minutes Marxism and what to do about it. We'll just have you kind of give us everything you've got on that, if that'd be all right. In 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. <laughs> In 10 minutes. The, 
be delighted to do it. The way Marxists overthrow government in 10 minutes. So. Hey, Larry, thank you so much for being with us. This has been so educational, man. We, uh, we do pray for you. Been praying for you since I've learned about you. Look forward to meeting you face to face one day and want to do anything with the world that we can do to encourage you and uh, help you in the good work God's given you to do. Amen. Thank you for thank listening. You so to We're delighted to be with you. Thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. And uh, do pre-order uh, Larry's book or order if it's already uh, if it's already in publication. And uh, check out his article. We're going to be tagging that in the show notes. Uh, boy, it's a stirring read. So grateful for you tuning in to listen uh, to this man, conversation. Uh, <laughs> the oh, kind of stuff pastors need to be reading right uh, here. Okay. Oh, my. <laughs> well, stay tuned. After you read, after we read your book. That's right. Thanks a lot. After you read my book, absolutely.